Yeah, I mean, I think in a way it's sort of setting up uh, our intention from the point of view of like, like, why are we doing this thing? And, you know, that we all have different perspectives and uh, different approaches, different interests. And, you know, so there's something kind of cool about the us talking together isn't just a bunch of friends just shit talking, that it's going to be like, we're all purpose. contributing something in a certain way, you know, like a, a perspective to look at the Enneagram in a much more dynamic fashion than fucking church talk. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Which That's is the true. first con- a conversation we're going to have. Yeah. All that fun stuff. Um, yeah. h- like, how do I introduce myself? What am I? I don't <laughs> even... The Big Hormone Enneagram. last session we had we we talked about the importance of typing and mm, you know yeah. part of part of the milieu of or the constellation of what we touched on was um of what how, how do you say it, david there's something about like not bringing the like keeping the sunlight and the the midnight or whatever to the enneagram like not turning yeah. like mm. the enneagram all into just sunlight yeah, yeah the shadow yeah, and like, what does that mean? And like, how, like, what is the point of keeping it in the mix? What is yeah. the point of, uh, is it, you know, <clears throat> to make something just feel edgy? Or is there like, what is the real value of it? And mm-hmm. how do you talk, for example, about a healthy five, healthy four, um, or whatever, uh, without it being a sort of a redemptive sunlight journey? Well, do we um, want to do... The introductions? Yeah, yeah like that's an introduction, what I mean. we can clip it out. And, yeah. Who wants to start? I'll go first. All right. All right. So I guess uh, we're starting the podcast now. <laughs> All right, guys. My name is Emika, and uh, I got into the Enneagram over a decade ago because I've always been interested in different typologies since I was a kid. And someday I just stumbled upon some Enneagram symbols that I didn't understand, and I started looking at articles and it opened up this whole new world for me i thought it was going to be like a short-term hobby like most things that i get into but it's just become part of me uh part of the way i think and part of the way i see the world so my type is eight and uh the the thing that hooked me initially into the enneagram was this idea that types weren't just sort of a made-up typology that it was a real thing that I could observe and I could feel with my body and that types could, um, it was a thing that I could watch people do like this, this little kernel of a psychological driver was a much bigger thing that I could watch on a video. And so I got really obsessed with figuring out what the types were like and typing was like the biggest hook for me, um, which eventually led to trying to figure out a way to map out what the instincts were like, how to recognize <clears throat> what people's instincts were, which became this whole collage typing thing or collage exercise, which is a, a gestalt approach to typing instincts. And that became sort of a, a big thing, a big thing on Facebook forums, collage typing and video typing. Um, and it's become this really interesting thing uh interesting orientation to the enneagram for me um and yeah 
What else is there to say? Not much. <laughs> <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> Did I do the social thing correctly? <laughs> you never do the social thing correctly. <laughs> <Yeah>. Good to know. <laughs> um, so I guess I'll go. Um, I'm Nancy. I am a type three uh, self-pres. And I got into the Enneagram when I was 16. And my mom took my whole family to an Enneagram class because she wanted us to communicate better. So um, we just started studying it together, just me and my mom. And um, it really helped me kind of put words to emotions when I was younger. And it gave me kind of a healthy way to express what was going on inside of me and just kind of have a space to talk about things. So I really took to it because I just am really interested in psychology and self-help. And I found a lot of help in it. So I am looking to kind of spread the love, I guess. Um, And I have been trained as a coactive coach and also gone to the narrative Enneagram training. And I'm kind of looking to marry those together um, in the future. But I also just really enjoy kind of spreading the Enneagram truth, what it actually is about. So that's why I'm here. I'm David, uh, <laughs> type nine, uh, self-pres sexual, nine, seven, four, tri- tri-type, um, got into the Enneagram about uh, 30 years ago. Uh, I was in a band, and the woman who was our drummer was... Uh, into the Enneagram brought it up when I was talking about numerology one day and uh, I just caught on fire with it and read everything that was out at that time. Uh, Mostly got into the so stuff um, and uh, my approach is pretty you know archetypal jungian approach to the enneagram um into symbols and metaphors and uh things like that and i about maybe 6 or 7 years ago uh noticed some correlations between the instinct instincts and the instinctual stackings and this ancient buddhist symbol called the baba chakra uh and so I've made some elaborative connections, symbolic connections between that symbol and that's kind of uh, opened up a lot of other insights into the Enneagram types as well because there's interesting ways that it all connects and they overlap and we'll get into that as we move along in the podcast, I guess. Um, I think that's about it now i'm uh john and i blew my nose during david's uh introduction because i thought my mic was muted um, it was not it was not uh so i'm john Lukovich. uh i was introduced to the enneagram um over 10 years ago in high school when i was on a camping trip with uh some friends of mine and one of these friends mary cloud uh her dad had I've been friends with Don Riso when they were in the Jesuits together and uh, helped Don Riso sort of develop some of the 
descriptions for the types way back. And so I was in this camping trip and uh, she for school and she said, John, you're a four. <laughs> and I asked her what that was and um, she explained and I was horrified because you know, being a four, you think that you are, and you want to be unique and uh, unlike anything else. And here was a description uh, that, you know, I fit perfectly. And I recognize that there must be hundreds of millions of people exactly like me that could just be of a description that was just in some fucking book somewhere. Um, so that horrified me. And it made me want to find out what was I that wasn't just uh, something that fit into a description. And so uh, my interest in the Enneagram uh, went to the Gurdjieff work and a lot of the mystical tradition that the uh, Enneagram emerges from, the fourth way, but also traces in throughout history, especially ancient Egypt. And... Um, I've been particularly interested in writing a book that's almost finished uh, on the instinctual drives. And uh, so, yeah, so I, I, you know, I work in the Enneagram from the point of view that I, I work for Russ doing uh being an assistant. And I also teach, but um, part of why we are starting this podcast, uh, the big hormone Enneagram is because everybody on this call, at least from my point of view, has something original and interesting and important to contribute to the understanding of the Enneagram, especially as the Enneagram is getting really popular. Um, there is a lot of uh, poor understanding that gets circulated because people generally get, the, get their first impression of the Enneagram through sound bites and through... Uh, easily digestible information, which is understandable and normal and how, how a lot of people learn it at first. But um, sometimes those little uh, helpful indicators outlive their usefulness. And um, so there is a lot of not just getting the Enneagram wrong or confused or um, vague, but there's a way in which in the lens of different kinds of self-help things and different kinds of, uh, you know, inner work tools sometimes get this um, brought into being something more positive or more acceptable or palatable and uh, less potent and less, um, less representative of an of a actual mandala of, you know, light and dark sunlight and, and, and nighttime um, than they ought to be. And so part of the what I really appreciate about uh, the four of us is that when we discuss the Enneagram and topics related to it, that there is this view of um, that, that retains a lot of the different perspectives that aren't, there's no uh, compulsion or need to try to make things look better than they are. Because when it comes to inner work, when it comes to um, self-understanding, it does us no favors to uh, see ourselves as more healthy or more present or more awake than we actually are. What actually helps anybody grow and develop is accepting and seeing their own limitations. 
and getting a realistic view of oneself rather than prematurely congratulating oneself on your, you know, premature enlightenment. So, um, you know, David, Emeka, and Nancy all have unique perspectives and very interesting uh, insights on the Enneagram and, and act in the process of understanding type and not just in but other people and the Enneagram as a whole. And uh, I appreciate all of our senses of humor and that we all seem to share an understanding of um, inner work and self-improvement and all that kind of shit is not at the expense of humor. It's not at the expense of being irreverent. It's not at the expense of it doesn't come with what in uh, you call a work face in, um, you know, like in the Gurdjieff work, we talk about people who adopt a certain kind of persona that fits with the cultural milieu. And, you know, you could take that for any kind of tradition you could in Christianity. It's this, you know, there's a particular kind of Christian face. that's like how, how you want to be seen and, you know, in, um, in, in like, yoga not namaste that kind of open <laughs> and new agey light and whatever in, in the Gurdjieff work it's a little bit more severe and intense but um with the Enneagram it can be so kind of positive and uh isn't this a beautiful redemptive journey that we're all on <laughs> that sometimes <laughs> there is a way of neglecting a real confrontation with what it means to be uh trapped within the prison of an Enneagram type and um and that you know can often encourage this kind of view of oneself as really overcoming your sleep and you know it's like you're 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 awakening aren't you and you're awakening aren't you and you're awakening right um that i think can really gloss over and neglect the kind of the potency and the, the real effective real uh use of the Enneagram, of seeing oneself as you are, where you are, and not just accepting it like passively, but using that as a way to take the next steps for, you know, whatever path you're on. Uh, hopefully that covers why the hell we started this. Is it, you know, <laughs> any other I voices? Think, I think so. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's good. basically we're not boring, uninteresting people. And we care that the Enneagram is real and not just some flu-flu, new age, spiritual, positive um, bullshit. But we want to integrate the dark and the light because that's what's real. And relative, and relative to sort of the Christian movement that's coming up around the Enneagram, we're wanting to keep some of the reverence for depth and dark and not uh glossing over you know too quickly into the sunlight so to speak yeah 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 part of the uh you know in turn like i i my point of view of the enneagram is that it really is based in essence and uh essence requires personality and vice versa and sometimes that can mean uh, when people are, you know, trying to trying to undertake inner work, they can mistake that to mean that essence and personality are opposed to each other, or that one's personality should be something that we fight against or um, should not be expressed in a certain way. And really, essence and personality need to go together. And that means not squashing your personality, and that means not 
having no personality from the point of view of not having humor and you know all the whatever all the the facets that make a person interesting so you don't have to um flatten the psyche in order to um to also hold kind of a higher view of things if that makes sense you can have them in tandem yeah 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 so I think one of the things that we wanted to talk about today uh, was typing. And from the point of view of, you know, there's, you listen to a lot of Enneagram podcasts and uh, they're like, let's interview a type two today and get their <laughs> point of view, which is fine. You know, and that's how people learn. But what is the value of understanding your type and actually seeing your type versus, you know, everybody, most people mistype. But a lot of times we get very touchy and identified with the type that we think we are. And we get very um, easy to feel offended or attacked when somebody offers a different point of view from the first impression we have of our type or our understanding of a different type than ours, ourselves. And so, um, again, another thing I appreciate about everybody on this call is that there is a real attitude of inquiry and a real attitude of trying to see past first, second, third impressions and taking in new information. And what I have found in my years of doing a lot of workshops and online discussions and both, in, you know, all, all over the place is that people tend to stick with their first impression of a type or their own type or their first impression of themselves. And maybe their view of themselves is like outdated by like 10 years. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. uh, you know, what does it mean to actually undertake the process of deconstructing what you think you already know to find something new? Yeah. If I could speak to that. Um, I started out thinking I was a four, um, as many, many, many people do. Yay! Um, <laughs> especially if you've ever been depressed. Everybody that's been depressed just thinks they're a four. So um, I started out thinking I was a four. And when this group of people came <laughs> and were like, you're not a four, you're a three. And here's why. It was really painful. And I did not appreciate it. But I was in a place where I was able to say, look, I'm not ready to hear this. And I kind of circled back around a few months later and was able to just have a one-on-one -on -one call with David. And he kind of gave me so many facts about it that I couldn't, I couldn't say no. I was like, okay, I'm very much a three. But he gave you the gentle nine delivery. He did. He gave me the gentle nine delivery, which I the very sweet much voice, <laughs> this the succulent voice that we all love. Um, and it has served me so much more knowing I'm a three. Um, in all the workshops that I've gone to, as a three, owning my threeness, I have learned so much more about myself and grown so much more. Instead of just thinking, oh, I have deep feelings and I'm a four, you know, I'm just going to sit here and sulk. So can you say more about what you learned? And also, like, I think for some people, especially, you know, since you brought up that a lot of people do see themselves as a four initially, um, you know, my perception as a four, seeing people identify as a four, there can be a, what it seems to me is that they feel like typing as a four either gives them permission to feel a lot or it yeah. makes them feel uh, that they do have deep feelings and maybe there was some kind of insecurity 
that maybe my feelings aren't that deep or something. Um, as a four, I don't think other people have less deep feelings than me, uh, which is a whole topic we could get into of, of feelings. But Nancy, like I know that you are a very sensitive person. And so, you know, how does seeing yourself as a three change your view of yourself, especially from the point of view of how I, you know, what I'm, what I'm speaking to in the sense of how sometimes typing as a four helps people, I think, own some of the complexity of their life. Yeah, when I first typed, I was 16. So um, it definitely gave me kind of the freedom as a mistyped four to be all in my emotions and depressed. But I think that was partially because the other types were not as um, described as emotionally deep as a four is, like you said. So um, that was part of it. But now as a three, what I've gotten from it, um, to to use a story, I went to the narrative training and um, I knew it was a three. This was over the summer and I was on the three panel and we did a guided meditation with Helen Palmer, which was awesome. Um, and she started talking about how threes have this person that they view as basically like God and they want to be that person. And inevitably it's a different human. So you can't be that person. And I had this full body reaction, like broke down sobbing in front of like 35 people on this, um, you know, guided meditation in, in front of the whole class. And it really opened up a lot of information, just physical information that I had been withholding from myself. And, um, kind of getting me back in touch with my heart because a lot of threes are kind of out of touch with their heart. So once I got back in touch with my heart, um, the days after that were super uncomfortable, but super important because I got a lot of information from it. So, so can you, uh, can you say more about how you experienced your heart when like how you related to the experience of your heart through the lens of four versus three because like i said i i know you you're a sensitive person regardless of your type and so what was the what what was helpful about these different lenses hmm, that's a good question so when i thought i was a four um it gave me the chance to be withdrawn and have an explanation for it um, I am a three, six, nine tri-type, so I am a more withdrawn three, basically the Eeyore of threes. But the four <laughs> game, <laughs> that's how I introduce myself, I'm the Eeyore of threes. Um, <laughs> but it basically, the four gave me this kind of um, space to say, oh, I'm a four, I'm going to be withdrawn now. Um, and I'm going to have my emotions and have my feelings. So Whereas, it's like a way to reclaim feeling in a way that maybe you hadn't felt otherwise? Correct. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah. So it was just kind of, I was, I was allowed to feel it because everyone was like, oh, you're a four. It's okay. You can be withdrawn in the corner. It also makes the, um, the, the three going to nine position, you know, the natural line that three has to nine, it sort of is, uh, maybe justifies it, if you will, that, that withdrawn um sort of collapse maybe yeah that happens for three going to nine four then maybe 
animates that and makes it more of a, uh, in a certain way, uh, I don't know, a more acceptable picture, perhaps. I don't know. Or a justification. But like gets past the three super ego mm -hmm. of needing to three out that you can give yourself permission to be more internal. Is that the case? Yeah. So I think um, the biggest part of it is me thinking I'm not a good enough three because I'm mm. not successful and rich and mm. famous and constantly working. And so it kind of gave me an out. Whereas the three kind of um, being typed as a three was really scary because then I had to face the fact that I thought I wasn't good enough. Whereas the four was just like, oh, you can just kind of feel your feelings in your heart center and just be withdrawn. Whereas typing as a three, the real emotion behind it was I'm not good enough. That's mm. a big emotion to feel. And, I, you know, right. nobody likes to feel that. So four so means you can be a failure. <laughs> right. Four, four, you can be a failure all you want because it's... Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. So do you feel like knowing this though, that you're able to bring more of that self-acceptance to the three space? I don't know if I'm quite to self-acceptance yet. Mm -hmm. um, I am at times, you know, I can definitely understand what's happening in my head more. Um, I can voice things that are happening, which doesn't necessarily mean I accept what's happening. It just means I have words for it. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Emeka or David, did you mistype? Um, I mistyped for like six months. Mine was pretty straightforward because I'm an eight wing seven, which there's not a whole lot of uh, opportunities to mistype when you're double assertive that way. I think <laughs> I think I was, I just thought. Or Emeka. <laughs> and I, social last yeah i was uh i thought i was seven wing eight for like six months and then i learned about centers it, i will admit though initially when i first read the eight description i was like this is terrible you know just <laughs> i my my dad is also an eight and i remember growing up even before i found out about the enneagram i knew on some level that I didn't want to be as big of an asshole as I thought he was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, there was a conscious effort to learn about typology and try to figure out how I could work on myself or get some kind of awareness so I couldn't, I wouldn't turn out exactly that way. Um, and so learning about the Enneagram and seeing type eight on paper, I was just like, that's terrible. And it took some time for me to see how I did have some of those same qualities that my dad had. <laughs> and even though we were very different, um, mm -hmm. but it really informed a lot of my family dynamics because there's three eights in my family and my family's pretty, Jeez. yeah, we're pretty assertive. And for a long time, I just couldn't figure out what was, I don't want to say wrong with me, but like I, the way that my family talks to each other is not the way most normal people talk to each other. And so there was an adjustments period to realize that I was really doing this eight thing that I took for granted in the way that I address people and to see that there's all this force that I was expelling that I didn't realize. Um, so it was a kind of a huge wake up call in a way that um, I was really doing the thing that I kind of knew I shouldn't be doing, which is really, really pushing and forcing things a little too much. 
Um, I hear that a lot from eights that get into the Enneagram is they're wondering why people are having these reactions to them. And then when they learn about the Enneagram, then it starts to make sense. Yeah, that, that was a huge awakening for me, kind of coming around to eight and seeing all the different ways that I um, push so much. And I, I think I sort of made a, a resolution with myself a long time ago that I never, ever have to make any sort of effort to push. It's going to happen anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I should never, if I should do anything, like try to go the other direction because I'm always going to end up doing this. Uh, on some level, like that's just what the person my personality is going to end up doing. So, over the years, I've noticed that my my friends have noticed that I've softened up. I think I've got as I've gotten more self awareness. Um, I think my personality has relaxed a little bit more. Maybe it's just getting older. Who knows? But um, I, I feel like uh, as I've learned a little bit more about my eightness, I'm, there are situations where I'm noticing how um, I don't push as much as I used to. Uh, I think I was much more of a, a bigger dick 10, 15 years ago, 100%. <laughs> you, your, your dad's an eight, and then you're, you have a sister that's an eight, and a sister that's a three, right? And then your yeah, mom. Yeah, yeah. My mom's a two. Oh um, so, like, that's twos, I mean, are, can be fucking intense. Oh, yeah. She, she's an intense two as well. Like, I think she's like a two, six, eight, or a two, six, mm-hmm. one, one of those. Um, so she can hold her own and, and, like, if, like, a Thanksgiving or whatever, or Christmas, and we're all at the table. It just gets heated. It doesn't even seem like it gets heated because that's just the way we all talk. And you guys think I'm like pretty easygoing, but um, you get like one of my sisters around, like just us around, you will see me in a completely different light. <laughs> are there any, are there any uh, Nigerian uh, holidays that we can crash your place? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I should have gotten my sister to meet y'all when you guys were here because that would have been fun. Because I don't even, it's not even a conscious thing that I do. Like, she just comes around and we just get talking and we just start arguing about regular stuff. And it's completely <laughs> normal. But to everyone else, we are fighting. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's like, I don't, I've learned not to do that around most other people. But whenever I'm with my family, um, it just, that's just the way we talk. And you won't see that side of me unless like we get into some kind of heated debate that I really care about, which is not pretty rare with most normal people. <laughs> um, but anyway, that, that was, uh, I think my other, the other parts of my typing were m- much more significant for me than the eight, like the instinct stuff was major because I was trying to figure that out for a long time. And I thought that was going to be a life changer. And it was because I didn't really understand what the hell sexual first was. The literature was garbage and one-to-one wasn't making any sense to me. Uh, One thing I should say is that a lot of people get into the Enneagram and they start reading a whole bunch of books and articles. And I did some of that, but a lot of my learning is as a body type has always been experiential. I'm not that kid in class who learns the most by doing a project, like a very difficult project that I don't know if I can do, but because I have to figure things out along the way, I basically learn things because I need to know them. So I'll pick up a book, but I won't read the whole book. I'll just read the part that I need to get what I need to get done. So I learned the Enneagram through typing. So I would be curious about a certain type or figuring out a certain person in my life. And I would think that there was a certain type and I'd start reading about that type, but I wouldn't read anything unless I was trying to figure or I was trying to get something done. So my Enneagram journey has been very 
experiential in that way. Like I've learned because I was trying to type myself or type others, um, which eventually came to like, how, do, how the hell do I figure out what people's instincts were or my own instincts or what makes me different from my dad? He's an eight, I'm an eight, but we're t totally different. And so those kind of questions made me realize like the material was just not good. I couldn't make any distinctions that were useful for me to be able to figure out why all these people in my life were so different. Um, and so I just started digging and it took years until I finally came across, um, John, I think you posted Russ's workshop notes on the instincts. And that was a huge aha moment for me to, mm -hmm. to see like sexual isn't one-on-one, -on -one, it's attraction. And that opened up a whole new door for me and it sort of make sense of why the hell I couldn't <laughs> focus on making money, even though like high school dropouts were you know, making a bunch of money. Like I've been trying to like, why is it that I can't focus on these certain things? Um, I couldn't make sense of my instincts. And that was a huge life changer for me. Like I think figuring out that I was a sexual type, not just figuring out that I was a sexual type because most people start out the Enneagram thinking they're a sexual type, but like, what does that actually mean? What are the implications of being a sexual type? Um, and I think that has been my orientation to the Enneagram is it's not just knowing what your type is. Like, what are the implications as to what are the kind of life path you're on, the sort of weaknesses you have, the mm -hmm. sort of strengths that you have? That's sort of the way I think about this stuff. Um, so those that that's been really major. I think that's probably the most significant typing for me was my instinct stacking or my instinct um, later on tri type, but um, that was huge. I would say. Yeah, I think it's worth uh, mentioning, and I'm, I have my workshop teacher hat on or whatever, but um, a lot of the definitions and perspectives that we have uh, on the instincts are super different from anything else that's out there, I would say. Yeah. Um, and so that's something, you know, uh, we don't think you know, sexual is one-on-one -on -one intimacy, for example, and yeah. we can talk about that another time. But, uh, you know, we mentioned tri-type uh, directly or indirectly a few times. And some people aren't, who are new to the Enneagram aren't familiar with that. And it's this idea that was called tri-fix by Oscar Chaza, who's the guy who um, synthesized a lot of different, mostly ancient systems to create the modern Enneagram of personality. He had, he had 108 what are called Enneagons, um, and four of them, the passions, fixations, holy ideas, and virtues became the modern Enneagram along with the instincts is another, his contributions, but he came up with this thing, tri-type recognizing that, um, we have a dominant type, but in that, in that dominant type is located in either the body center, the heart center or the mental center. But that when we like, let's say I'm a, I'm a feeling type, I'm a four, uh, and that's where I spend most of my time. But when I inhabit my mental center, my thinking style is in the style of either five, six, or seven, one of the mental types. For me, it's five. And then uh, when I'm engaged in my body center, um, it's in the style of one of the body types, uh, eight, nine, or one. So my tri-type, or Oscar Chazo called it trifix, trifixation, um, is four, five, eight. And so when we put those numbers together, that's what we're referring to. But piggybacking off of that, 
uh, one of the main distinctions, I think, in terms of the way the four of us look at type is we put, we put a lot of consideration on the relationship of the centers, the body, the heart, and the mind, and how the reason there's nine types is because they emerge out of the interaction and the dysfunction between those three centers of intelligence. Yeah, and, and uh, tri-types can give such a different flavor to the core type, um, and I think that trips a lot of people up. Mm-hmm. That's a, a reason for a lot of mistyping. Yeah, that is a huge topic. <laughs> how, how is that, so David, can you say more about how it's a big uh, opportunity for mistyping? Well, just, I mean, using the example, say, of a three, um, a three that's, for example, a three, five, nine is a three that has two withdrawn types, you know, in their trifix, tri-type. Um, and then a three seven eight would have two more assertive types, so it'd be triple assertive. Those are just going to be radically different, you know, uh, expressions uh, of three. It, they're gonna they they sort of have a chemical influence on each other, or it's or it's almost like um, alchemy or metal metallurgy, where you know you put in just a small amount of one other ingredient, and it completely changes some of the basic characteristics of how the style gets expressed and it it tamps some things down and it accentuates and augments uh certain things i mean similarly like if you've got an eight for example who's got three and six then you know that's an eight that needs a considerable amount of acceptance you know from other people which is something we don't uh, generally associate with type eight. So things like that. I mean, they're they're pretty radically different, really. Each of the tri types. And so sometimes, they, what I'm hearing you say is that sometimes uh, one aspect of this is that it goes against our preconceived ideas about how a type looks. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Uh, yeah, I mean, it could. Uh, well, I mean, especially again, like going back to say a three with a four wing that has five and nine, that's, you know, a lot of withdrawn stuff and that, and the interests are going to be different. The life themes, I'd even say, you know, are going to be different from someone who's a three, seven, eight and so on. So yeah, that, that whole, uh, go getter performer, um, sort of athletic, if you will, figuratively speaking type of three is going to be very different with a three, five, nine or something. Right. So I posted a video once because uh, I'd recorded a video for uh, typing and I watched the video and I was, I was kind of surprised that I didn't look very eight ish at all. I looked very withdrawn. And mm. so I, I thought it'd be funny to post that video in one of the <laughs> forums that we were member were members of just to see what people would say, because I, I didn't really think anybody would guess my type. And that's exactly what happened. I think most people thought I was some kind of five or four because those are types that are in my tri-type. Mm-hmm. And for an eight, especially an eight wing seven, um, that's that's as withdrawn as it gets, especially with social blind. Mm-hmm. It's very few people are, are going to guess that. And even if you do guess it, you're probably going to think I'm an eight wing nine because right. uh, he seems really chill. He doesn't seem 
chaotic at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you have a five and a four, mm-hmm. your heart center and your mental center. Right. So, but you're also, you know, eight wing seven is a pretty uh, out there energetic type. So right. how do you, ex- how do you reconcile that or like experience that? Well, I would say that eight wing seven is external in a lot of activity and making things happen. It's for eights. I, I noticed like eight wing nines can get into just, um, they, they do less or it's, it's eight wing nines. I've noticed can do this thing where they can become authors. They can kind of just stay in, or even like something like, staying with one activity for a long time like playing an instrument whereas eight wing sevens are just a little bit more um activity oriented like making external things happen um and so with five and four i've always been my whole life i was i always felt like i've always been impressed by um assertive types that just were making a lot of things happen in the world but i always found myself going towards topics that were too internal, way too internal. Like just the Enneagram always felt like a useless hobby where part of me is obsessed about this thing. I'm spending weekends and weekends staying at home, just tinkering with this shit where there's this other part of me that is like, you need to, to create this large operation that's going to make millions. Of, I mean, I'm serious. Like there was a point in my life where I thought, you know, I'm going to make... I'm going to be like an extremely famous person and make millions of dollars. I don't know how this is going to happen, but there's this part of me. Podcast, baby. You're doing it right now. (laughs) (laughs) This is the beginning. (laughs) There's a part of me that feels like there is no limit to how big I can get, even though I don't know how the fuck that is going to happen. And I'm interested in these, you know, kind of useless things. Um, But what it, means i guess what i've been able to reconcile it as i've grown and understand understood things is that um i make big things happen but it's about internal subjects um it's like uh taking eight wing seven energy which is just kind of an explosion a, a bomb kind of but pointing it into topics like the Enneagram, internal topics. And so what that means is um, the impact that I have in people, the people and the people in my life is that I kind of pull them down into these worlds of the Enneagram or all these inner subjects in ways that completely change everything. I mean, my best friend OD, I've, I've introduced to a lot of topics like the Enneagram uh, or Michael teachings that have completely revamped the way he looks at himself and his life direction. Like he's a, I don't want to say like, I've changed this person's life, (laughs) you know, like this, a a perspective that can completely turn everything upside down. And so the way I look at myself now is, is that I can create these sort of inner experiences. um, They could be creative experiences that could be, uh, something related to inner work experiences that are, are like a visceral experience that completely changes the way a person can look at themselves internally. Um, so it's big eight energy, but it's pointed towards, it's pointed completely internally. 
Um, so creating those kinds of experiences, it's like, uh, it's, to me, it feels like opposites, but I think I understand what the hell <laughs> I am now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when uh, we were hanging out and I did a breathwork session with you, uh, the eight was startlingly apparent in not only the amount of energy that was expressed in your session, but in terms of just like, like the energetic structure of, you know, your centers and also in your body, it was like really fucking eight. Um, the way that you related to your heart center mm -hmm. and the sense of how you uh, understood and processed emotion and vulnerability uh was like whoa this is an eight yeah how did you yeah. experience that john what is i mean what i mean i'm it's going to be really abstract i assume but is there a way to uh make illustrate what you sensed yeah so i mean uh so, okay, so I I've have six years of training in something called integrative breath work, which is sort of similar to holotropic breath work, but it's individualized. And did a session with Emika, and it was like, uh, so first of all, it was really fucking long. Like, it was like an hour and a half. I didn't realize. <laughs> it was really long. It was like, I mean, you know, your, your background in wrestling came up a lot. Did it? But I yeah. Oh yeah, it did. It did. Yeah. It did. But I, I felt like I was wrestling for an hour and a half. Mm. Um, <laughs> there was just a way that you. I mean, first of all, you have, and I, you know, I don't know how. I'm not going to try to get too personal, but I know that you, a lot of your relationship with your dad factored in in his his attempts to dominate you. Yeah. And your way of holding boundaries like it's closer to the chest than a lot of eights are but hmm. there's a really thick armoring especially in your chest and shoulders mm -hmm. and um so when we you were breathing and we were able to get to some of that i just remember like an enormous amount of energy coming out so it was one, on one hand expressed like you know you i mean you were screaming a lot uh but there was a lot of like, I don't know if you remember this, but you'd be like, ha! Ah! And then you'd be silent. Yeah. And then you'd ha! Ah! And I had to uh, use all my body weight to push against you. Yeah. And it was in the pushing with me mm. that you felt most met, I think. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. And there was a whole thing about grief and how, how, how rarely you cry. Uh, okay. And when we when i met you with that intense pushing there was something in your heart that released and and you you know you you experienced some grief that you that from my you know from what i remember yeah that, that you kind of keep in the background yeah it was kind of it was kind of crazy that um i felt like i needed to break through to something and i didn't and you you figured out that idea of pushing against and as that was happening it felt like something opened up in my heart that just couldn't open up before 
which is just crazy because it's just like expelling that much energy was what opened me up, mm-hmm. which is a very eight thing, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it really fits with the idea of challenger. You know, yeah. that's what I of the that word comes up around eight, and that in a in a sense, you know, eights are challenging because they want to be challenged at some deeper level, right? Mm-hmm. And it may be to actually reveal, you know what I mean? Ultimately, yeah. yeah at some essence level. Yeah, absolutely. No. Um, I get that. Like I, I realized I, one thing I figured out about my eightness is that um, there always has to be some level of combat mm. um, in my life to some degree. Like I tried to explain this to OD because he has anger as well but he his comes out in really surprising ways and i've I've told him that it's for me i figured out that you have to expel some of this anger at a on a consistent basis like some form of violence has to be expelled consistently before it gets pent up and then you start beating the shit out of somebody for no reason yeah Yeah. you know not like not actually but you know just like Mm -hmm. um taking it out on someone because it's just been pent up so um, I've recognized that on some level, you have to have some level of combat or conflict um, on an ongoing basis. That's just normal. And um, for me in the past, it used to be uh, wrestling or just any sort of combat was good. It really makes me calm and, and relaxed when I get to push up against something. Or it could just be getting into a debate on a forum and and taking it out on somebody arguing or something like that where it's not too crazy um so combat is a that's a consistent thing and i realized that growing up in my family that it was just it was a good thing just like we we always argue about every little thing and it wasn't a big deal but it sort of makes you a calm person when you can just duke it out you know on a regular well, basis i i think what you're speaking to and i, I think this goes back to some of the stuff we talked about at the beginning you know, in terms of uh, the self-help culture and Christian Christianity, all this kind of stuff, is in, in just American culture in general. Is that oh yeah, America is a very aggressive culture, but it's not very healthy at expressing aggression. So there's like mm-hmm. a lot of aggression, but it doesn't get channeled and expressed. Mm-hmm. And I think part of growing and inner growth is not suppressing aggression or seeing aggression as a problem, which I think is an implicit bias in a lot of inner work and related kind of paths, but that you have to learn how to actually own and harness your aggression, but it has to be done creatively rather than as something you're resisting in yourself or denying or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've mentioned this before, but growing up in Nigeria um, I've, and traveling, I've definitely noticed that American culture is probably one of the most passive aggressive cultures <laughs> yeah I, I mean i and it took me a long time to even figure this out as a social blind just there's a huge cultural difference in that a lot of cultures people just say what they mean or they'll call you out and it's not even uh, it's not a malicious thing mm-hmm. to just say what you think like you know if you look at european culture like french people come over here to work a lot and german people and people are experience them as overly too blunt and that's just American culture. People don't really say what they think, at least compared to other cultures. And so African culture, people would probably feel that, man, like Nigerians are really 
really blunt. Um, and I think that's a cultural difference. And I, I see how that plays it, itself out in the Enneagram world in, in that in, in the culture I grew up in, you would want to know if you were mistyped. If you got it wrong, that you would want to be corrected. But here it's seen differently that, oh, you know, I, you don't, you don't want to impend, you don't want to step on anybody's toes and upset anyone with negativity. They might be wrong. Um, people don't want to be corrected. They want to, they see mistyping or staying in the wrong type as part of the process, which it can be, but like there's an element of not wanting to step on anyone's toes with anything negative. Um, it's that's a huge cultural difference in my yeah and in the um not to trash the narrative program they have a lot of great great information and I learned a lot um but one of the big factors in the narrative program is that um it's a process finding your type is a process um so even if someone is mistyped we're taught not to really come at them with what we think their actual type is mm-hmm. Um, and that was definitely a big challenge for me during the sessions was to not kind of tell people, Hey, you're, you're, you're not a four or you're not an eight. Um, so I think that is definitely ingrained into a lot of the Enneagram culture as well. I think generally it's pretty useful not to tell people what they are or what you think they are. Cause like, I mean, I'll get assholes that want to tell me what I am. And generally, it's, you know, like, I know the Enneagram pretty well at this point, and they usually don't know the Enneagram very well. And they're just like, oh, you're a little bit more uh, assertive or whatever than uh, a four. Mm -hmm. So I get typed as a six sometimes or three. Um, I don't think anybody would mistake me for an eight. but. or ones, you know, these kind of different types, um, or five, but, um, you know, like I, I, I agree that there's a, there was a process of, of exploration and needing to arrive at it oneself. But I think sometimes that don't type other people, uh, orientation can take on such a precious kid gloves kind of quality mm-hmm. that yeah. even when somebody says something wildly, uh, out of sync, uh, about their type, like for example, uh, <laughs> four struggle more with anxiety than with depression. Um, that is not true, and uh, it's not accurate, and it's not useful, and it's not helpful. Um, and so, being able to push back, not push back, but even just just have a discussion about these kinds of things, I think, is really important and kind of lacking uh, in the enneagram milieu. And and part of that makes sense because it is this sort of journey of self-discovery and there's a lot of uh needing empathy for oneself but um you know when you are at a stage or when somebody is at a stage where they're ready to move from the the point of gentle self-accepting to more rigorous self-inquiry which is like a a a jump you know like it's like okay i like oh seeing myself through the lens of this type is helping me own like we talked about with people misidentifying as four oh it helps me really own my 
inability to just be on the ball all the time. It helps me own my feelings. It helps me own my complexity. Um, but, uh, you know, that can, that can be, um, and, you know, that's a period of time that needs to sort of happen for some people. Uh, a lot of people have not had the permission to be who and what they are. But then at a certain point when you're ready to actually try to use the Enneagram for something more than just feeling good about yourself and you really want to grow, growing requires that kind of, uh, you know, a, a challenge to your habitual point of view. And not just from the outside, but more importantly, you challenging yourself, which means open to critically thinking about even the things that you take as fundamentals about whatever system, whether it's the Enneagram or something else, and being able to critically re-examine, also critically uh, see where the gaps in one's own understanding and knowledge are. Like, for example, I see a lot of people uh, assuming they know what rage, shame, and anxiety are. And, you know, the, the underlying affects of the body, heart, and uh, mental types. And then they'll use the misunderstanding or incomplete view of what those, what those psychological affects are in the ego structure. And they'll go, oh, it's not shame, it's sadness. And try to recontextualize it, which maybe a lot of feeling types are sad a lot. And I actually think that there's a big, big thing there. But uh, what those facets of the personality are is is a very specific thing that a lot of people will not understand. And so, you know, they won't recognize that I don't really get what this is a reference to. What is the shame or what is the anxiety or what is the the, the rage and how does that actually operate? And maybe I need years more uh, study of myself, not just reading another book. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know why, I think maybe just the orientation that I came to the, into the Enneagram, I didn't, I noticed that a lot of people come into it from a standpoint of, um, trying to find an identity, which, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which means you get really touchy about if anyone even suggests that you might not be the type that you are, even if you figure out that you're not the type that you are it becomes this very personal uh, upheaval of who, who the hell am I now that I'm not a four. Um, I think because I was so externally focused about the system and I was trying to like understand how do I make good distinctions, um, it made it easier for me to just not take it personally. And I think a lot of people just aren't there yet in terms of curiosity about what this stuff means because for a long time, I couldn't even post on forums. I couldn't see myself posting on forums because I just didn't think I knew enough. There was just so much depth that there wasn't any way that I could speak about this um, on any forum because I knew that there was so much that I didn't know. And I, I just don't think most people are there yet where they're really curious about what any of this stuff means. Um, and it's just a lot of surface level stuff that they're going off of for identity or uh, like taking it pretty personally. Um, so I think that's a big part of it, that people just aren't curious enough about this stuff yet. David, yeah. did you, uh, sorry, Nancy. You're fine. I was just gonna say that um, I think 
part of it is that the information that's being put out on the interweb is very surface level information. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's very much like, you know, your Zodiac sign or et cetera. David, I wanted to ask you, did you mistype initially or anything like that? No, I didn't. Uh, the woman that um, first, uh, you know, mentioned the Enneagram to me and uh, I think gave me a book initially, it came up because I was talking about numerology because I've been into all kinds of woo-woo kooky stuff <laughs> since I was a kid, astrology and, and things like that. Um, and I was talking about numerology one day and uh, she mentioned, and I was talking specifically about the number four because it's a, a number that comes up a lot for me and a lot of, it's it's a lucky number, four and 44. And I was just talking about that phenomenon. and she brought up the Enneagram. It's almost, almost not related in a way, but, um, uh, so I assumed she didn't, she, I guess, wisely didn't say anything about what she thought about my type. Um, I think she might've had a sense that I was a nine. Um, she was a four with a five herself, social self-press. Um, and so I looked at the book, um, trying to remember which one it is. I'll look that up at some point. But yeah, when I, I, I looked at the four, cause I assumed that that's what she was, why she was telling me that. And, you know, I could see some stuff, but then when I read the nine chapter, that was just, it was just obvious right then. So yeah, that's how that went. And, uh, and my friend, who my bandmate and longtime friend uh is a four and uh so actually it's it's interesting i was having a lot of envy of him being a four right because at that at that point the un, you know this is when was this late 80s or something i can't remember um you know four was the cool type I guess it is now too, but, um, uh, uh, and so all, and, and I've always been creative since childhood. Right. And so, you know, I can remember literally complaining, you know, what was it? I don't know. You get to be, uh, I don't know, name any famous, whatever artist or whatever. And, and I'm Walt Disney or whatever, you know, what I mean? <laughs> like, that. It's like <laughs> and it's like, and, and even the, the old Riso Hudson books in their misidentifications, you know, they even make some of those contrasts. They don't bring up people like, you know, Carl Jung as a nine or stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, that was kind of, um, so I had a bit of a, you know, whatever, a negative self-esteem thing around that, that he was the quote unquote better type in my mind. Right. So, so what is yeah. it like envying fours for 30 years? <laughs> it's, it's been <laughs> an incredible an journey. And now I just think they're all shit. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, there is still, <clears throat> there is still the idealization of four in a certain way and deepening in the Enneagram. However, of course, and being around my friend for more than 30 years, who is a four, 
uh, it's not much to envy ultimately that experience. Um, although uh, the, pro the positive traits, um, there there are some essential things there, and I don't even know how to put them into words. That uh, well, just that I appreciate in a certain way, and and uh, I have I've come to understand uh, nine uh, in a different way course over the course of 30 years i mean you go through so much the enneagram is so experiential uh and you realize that certain people that you admire are nines uh and actually some pretty interesting impressive people are nines and so yeah at this point um i'm all Thinking I'm a badass, so it's great. Yeah. Well, I, so I hear you speaking to uh, two things. Um, you know, one is that even though, like, like so, whatever's written in a book about a type, you know, that's a work in progress. It's like mm -hmm. an attempt at a definition, but a type is not the definition written in a book. And that, in fact, a lot of very well respected and established definitions and descriptions are not accurate, or they've got a sliver of something in it but uh there's more like the enneagram is not a fully excavated mine it's something yep. to be mined and that um you can also just read about a, a type and think you know what you're what a, what type is even capturing but it's it's not always it's not like the person you are it's really the structure of your psyche mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so you know people's definition of type changes their impression of what a type even is and means like you know uh, i think joseph one time pointed out that often um for certain types sometimes our association is based on a person of a type that has that type in their tri-type mm -hmm. uh and so maybe our views of the types are not always accurate or um you know it just continues to evolve and that the enneagram is still like a wide open field of exploration and it also um, and I think Nancy, you brought this up before on a call that we did. Um, you know, you still, whatever fucking type you are, you're still the same person that you are what, before you found your type or mistype or whatever. You know, it doesn't uh -huh. change who you are at all. Yeah. Yeah, it's the it's the structure, not the contents within the structure, and the contents can uh, vary widely. And well, you're just you're just the horrible person that you were before you knew the enneagram. <laughs> yeah, you are after. Yeah, you just now know how horrible you are. Yeah, you just have a clearer view of how terrible you are. Yeah, man, I've had some weird experiences with with people just just losing their shit when they've been shown that their type is not like wildly different from what they thought they were to the mm -hmm. point that they leave the Enneagram entirely. Yeah. Sort of. Well, I, think, I think if you like your type, you're probably mistyped. Yeah. Fucking yep. definitely. Uh -huh. <laughs> I 100%. mean, I hated three when I found three. I was like, oh, fuck me. Yep. It sucks. I'm like, uh, just like my fucking type sexual self prize four five with the five and eight tri-type is like everybody's dream 
It's the weird, weirdly the fucking most mistyped, desired fucking type. Yeah, and it's not that great. It's freaking mystified, <laughs> mis- it, mystical. It blows my mind how much I see people like. Like, uh, I remember recently somebody, like, I caught them talking shit about me uh, on some, some thread. And they're like, his, his interpretation of Enneagram is not dark enough. He was really a 4580 to be dark. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, what Enneagram are you looking at? You know, it's like, uh, there's this just, like, I'm not a car, like, there's no, like, every Enneagram type is a person. It's not a cartoon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that stuff is crazy to me. And it's on one hand, people think, oh, this four five eight is like super dark, like dark lord. But then you have all these people that are identifying with that type who are not even not even <laughs> like, like super a, a sunshine of that. Yeah. Super sunshiny people. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Like they yeah, they they're like bodies are made of milk cream. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my business suit. I'm a four five eight. Their LinkedIn profile and uh <laughs> right. that's why I, I love met- Go Sorry, go ahead. That's why I've met like anytime I hear someone say four five eight, I pull out the HR Geiger Giger uh paintings, just throw them out there and just watch the horror. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this People's is what you're trying to identify face. with. Yeah. I mean, seriously, the way I weed out fours is just saying fours are the most fucked up type. And if someone reacts to that negatively, I'm like, all right, you're not a four. Yep. <laughs> Simple That's as that. That's a good way, actually. Yeah. <laughs> because fours will be okay with that. They'll be 100% okay with that. Yeah. And I met so many, I have met so many fours in my travels where I am like, you, you, you are nowhere close to a four. They're like, I have dark feelings. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not having a super ego around how I should feel or the kinds of feelings that are acceptable or you know what these like there's not a lot of anxiety around what these feelings mean about me because even though the fourth thing is who am i uh there is a way in which the the four is greedy for what the heart is going to reveal about who i am Mm. so i sort of think of the four uh is like, I'm going to be as true to my heart as possible. Uh, but the thing about it is, and this is a whole discussion on like the heart center. Um, when I was teaching the retreat last week, uh, you know, I was saying about one of the main differences in the centers is that, you know, you can be disassociated from your body, but you're still sort of using your body. And you can be dissociated from your mind, but you're still, even if it's full of chatter, it's still kind of there. In its in its fucked up form, but a lot of people uh, can function without any contact with their heart. Um, there might be a lot of a rea- like emotional reaction, which is different than being actually in touch with your heart. But uh, the heart is like like you can't make the heart do anything. You have to, and I think this is a good reason why, especially assertive types, have a difficult time being with their heart because. The heart, uh, I compared it in the retreat. It's kind of stupid, but it's it's kind of like a cat. And <laughs> you walk into a room and you're like, come here, cat. Uh, the cat is going to run the fuck away. Mm-hmm. But if you kind of approach it by the side and are a little bit indirect with it and mm-hmm. give it space to be curious about you, 
uh, it reveals itself. It comes to you. And so it's like the heart is the same thing where you got to, um, it has its own time, pace, and logic and its own process. And you have to be receptive to it. And I think that the four personality is oriented to try to do that. But the problem is, is that like the, to contrast it with a three, I think threes are like, all right, between uh, 1 p.m. and 2 p.m., I'm ready to be with my heart. The heart going to show up for the appointment? Oh, the heart is 10 minutes late. Maybe you got to go into the next thing. So that's the heart as that's a dog. Accurate, that's the heart as a dog instead of a cat. Yeah, the heart is not efficient. <laughs> too right? accurate. The heart is threes efficient. are efficient. Threes are efficient, but their heart is not so much. So they're like, all right, well, I scheduled you to be here on Thursday at four o'clock and you're not, you know, but with the four, it's like, I'm going to be as true to my heart as possible, but it's still grasping for the heart. It's still being like, come here, cat, because, you know, it's like, I'm drawing everything from my heart. And, you know, um, uh, like, I think really healthy fours are able to express what's real in their heart, no matter how much the outer forces are opposing them or against them. Um, it's like they, you know, fours can be very like honestly, vulnerably self-revealing and being true to what's real for them in the face of whatever. But when they're unhealthy, it's like grasping for the heart in the same way the heart is not receptive to that grasping. Mm -hmm. So the way that the four tries to feel their heart is through reaction. You know, like trying to be a, being upset about things or being in response, like picky or, you know, aesthetically, whatever. Disdainful or something. Disdainful. But what that does is uh, like that sort of, there's a certain like kind of fidelity that if the four is healthy enough, they can learn what real fidelity to their heart means. But, but that fidelity also means that, um, you know, there's not a lot of, there's, there's very little judgment about what is coming up for me. They might hate themselves, but it's not like if I'm like pissy or I hate something or I'm feeling disgusted by this, or if I hate you, there's not any judgment about that. It just yeah. is what it is. Yeah. And so a lot of, yeah, a lot of people that are first introduced to the Enneagram that do have the issues around accepting their feeling states, even still, you'll be like, yeah, fours are probably the most negative uh, type from the point of view, just they feel negative all the time, even when they're healthy. Um, and, and there's a lot of like, no, I'm not. No, I'm a healthy four. Uh, there's, a, there's a kind of a super ego judgment about how I should feel or like what's, what's normal about feeling. Whereas like every four I've ever met is very much like, there's no, doesn't mean they're expressing their feelings, but there's really no inner censorship around what's coming up for me in terms of my feeling state. And negative feelings are seen generally as more true, right? Right. Uh, Definitely. More real. Yeah. And so you're pointing to uh, the real kind of pitfalls of the modern Enneagram where they view these negative feelings as being in unhealthy levels. And yeah. the health levels mean everything. So... Well, yeah, what, like, like what makes the difference between health and unhealth from like the levels of development point of view is not what is the content of my personality, but how present with it am I? You know, like how much can I contain and in, in presence in my being and how much can I include and be conscious of what's going on without getting identified with it? If you're present with your personality, 
you're less identified with it, which means you can use it and you accept what's in your personality. So if your your preferences, your likes and your dislikes, all those kinds of things are just part of the program. And it's not about getting a better program or a better personality, which is a very valid and important part of certain kinds of work. When it comes to the Enneagram work, primarily it's not about improving and getting a better personality. It's about learning how to be more awake, conscious, and embodied amidst the functioning of your personality. When, when people say, talk about health on forums, I feel like they're, they're using the term that they would refer to in a relationship. Like this relationship is healthy. I don't think people understand what health means in terms, in any ramic terms. Uh, so they think that sounds really unhealthy, like saying that fours have a negative worldview because they're saying, well, that's not good. That's not positive. I think what people think when they uh, say healthy, that it, it implies an improve, a positive improvement, that this is going to be uh, an uplifting kind of a thing, which is part of the issue I think we run into with our approach to the Enneagram or versus the way most people approach uh, the Enneagram is that there is an overlay of an expectation of a positive outcome, which isn't a bad thing, but it's sort of deleting the possibility that there is a negative aspect of reality that needs to be addressed. Well, I, in what you're saying, uh, and David, I'm curious your insight because you've spoken to this before, but there's kind of like a nine to three bias, you know, that line bias in there because it's sort of like, you know, if we assume archetypally that we have this kind of a, like, I mean, there's a lot of nines out there, mm -hmm. but there's also this sort of, a lot of spiritual work can be uh, experienced through a nine-ish lens. And then the view of health then becomes almost unconsciously a three lens. And so there's a sense of, uh, like, that sense of health becomes a kind of being a more effective, efficient, uplifting, inspirational person. Do you agree? Uh, there is that, certainly. Uh, I, I think a lot of it, however, is <clears throat> nines deifying the, their nineness, right? <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is to not do three, which is um, that to be ambitious uh you know to be results oriented in any kind of overt way would be a bad thing um uh although yeah i mean there's it it's complex and and everybody's having a different experience but uh but yeah i mean um there's probably a productivity in other words, a quasi three-ishness that is revered in nine relative to, you know, certain practices and those kinds of things. That makes sense. Um, certain kind of being on a schedule, if you will, of and 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 then there's the fact that there is something to that to having some kind of inner practice. Um, but yeah, generally, I think I see more of nines. Um, uh, 
deifying nineness and and a lot of nines mistyping as fours and making and changing the definition of four uh to make it empathic and the wise counselor that you could come to with any emotion right um mm-hmm. and not that that's also not true with some fours right um there are plenty of um fours that are good sounding boards in that way and uh and maybe even are more rightfully in the category of people you could take you know a really wide spectrum of emotional material to and there'd be a certain kind of um acceptance because there's a there's somewhat maybe a, a wider range in fours of uh, a wider palette of um you know what they can well just won't have judgment about for one thing the, actually the judgment is more typically about stuff that's super positive right generally mm-hmm. speaking anyway how would, you, how would you describe the the, the deification of nineness well i mean it's partly what's been talked about before i don't know where the term came up came from it might have even been me but i can't remember but there's a premature buddha it was you okay (laughs) um that was a nine move that was a nine move yeah and that was a nine (laughs) yeah that was a nine for getting his own amazing yeah um uh yeah so well it you know uh, nine is a neurotic uh, here's how I'd say it. I don't know if this makes sense. You guys can tell me. Is a the uh, um the neurotic fixation of nine is partly a mock-up of a spiritual person, of a, a person who's already there, right? right. So, <clears throat> you know, such as uh me as a nine who's premature buddha i'm saying look at everybody overreacting to everything <laughs> everybody's upset uh everybody's angry anxious um <laughs> loud da, da 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 right so whereas me i'm not those things why can't everybody be like that and you know a lot of that is coming from the selfishness the the very deeply unconscious selfishness of nines where you're wanting uh you don't want your own equilibrium upset and so you're kind of wanting to advise people or placate or do whatever to uh and sometimes it takes on the role of being a counselor um uh in varying forms of you know health or neurosis of you know kind of wanting everybody to be okay around you and it has a can be codependent and sort of i picture it as somebody putting foam rubber around the house right who you know on all the sharp objects and making everything okay for everybody so that there's no edges and no no pointy corners and things there's a lot of that 
dealing with nines and nines think that everybody should be doing that. And so that is good. So that's what a good person what a good does, right? Yeah. Can you, can you say more about um, that counselor thing and the kind of the judgment that like often people just think of nines as accepting. Um, but man, some of the, uh, the most exhausting battles Mm-hmm. Or with fucking nines that just feel yeah. like they need to tell you how you should be. Right. Well, I mean, if you're talking about <clears throat> online, right? Is that what you're yeah. kind of mainly? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, one of my themes in forums for a long time now is that nines are actually the worst in, <laughs> in these online forums. And it's because, I mean, it's it's very simple formula. Here's a safe space for a nine to finally do rage, right? But you're going to, but, but then it's a second, then it's a safe space in another way in that you're just talking about ideas. We're just talking about abstractions, right? So it's doubly safe, right? Cause I'm, I'm supposedly, well, and I am it just in the space of, you know, arguing, a, a, a an abstract concept about a, Enneagram types or instincts or, you know, or philosophical or political discussions or whatever the group is. Um, and so that's quote unquote good, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're just, um, yeah, trying to get to the truth, so-called, right? But then, yeah, nines get extremely stubborn, um, uh, contrarian. You know, a lot of nines, there are some nines that just are contrary online. I mean, that's like the whole thing that they do is to just say, no, you're wrong about that and elaborate it in some way. So so how does that reconcile with people's usual view of nine as the peacemaker? Well, I think what's at least one thing that's happening there is, again, it's it's sort of a a blowing off steam, right? Mm. Because when you look at those, I, I, I assume that when you look at those nasty online nines in their day-to-day life, you know, they're more like a nine, right? Um, and they might even be more nine-ish um, than some other nines. And that's why there's so much of a release that happens online in the safe zone of being online. Mm, right. Sense. So it's, it's just a shadow spew, you know, <laughs> <laughs> basically. Yeah. How are we doing on time? Well, it's, uh, Eastern time. It's 10 till 10. I mean, we yeah, can... I should probably get going soon. Cause we a lot is making pasta. Yeah. Cause we're, we're trying we to record a, pasta. 45 minute episode we definitely did like an hour and a half so yeah well that gives us a good amount to cut out yeah okay i think it's pretty shit. good yeah yeah it's good my intro sucked but other than that i, thought I don't think so <laughs> i think it was all good i mean i apologize for like kind of uh directing so much but i kind of like no my, no no that was good we need yeah. that my That's my fun. uh enneagram teacher uh thing is kind of kicking in no, it's, no it's good. It's good. Because otherwise, it's just chaos. 
(laughs) (laughs) And it's sort of like an F-E thing of, all right, we need to get David to talk now. Yeah, we need to get this person to talk. I feel that. Um, And so that's necessary to some degree. And I've seen podcasts that do a structure where they take turns, but it's helpful if there's someone who can take on a role of making sure that everyone is talking and there are certain interesting questions that are being brought up. So, yeah, I think that's really good. Cool. Um, how you doing, Nancy? Effie. Uh, I just, I just remembered my mic was muted and I was like, why are you guys not listening to me? Um, <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? Um, no, I thought, I thought that it was good that you interjected, um, and kind of took that lead because I think, um, it's worth noting that the first time we were recording, we kind of all were a lot quieter than we usually are. Um, yeah, I know that was interesting. <laughs> it was interesting. I was kind of, I was kind of chuckling to myself the whole time. Yeah, um, it's a little weird. It's going to take yeah. a few. I think it's going to take a few runs before we're back to our fucking normal selves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was having the being on stage <laughs> yeah. feeling. Yeah, it's like, oh shit, yeah, people are going to hear this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think <laughs> it was good that you took that role, and I think um, maybe in the future we should have some like. Um, staged questions so if it gets quiet we can say hey here's a question we can talk about just so that we can kind of bounce off each other a little bit more because it is going to take some time before we get comfortable with it yeah Yeah, i mean i i think i'm naturally sort of comfortable just from my experience in doing this shit all the time now. for sure yeah Um, how about how about this david don't ever say anything about recording just ever (laughs) yeah what do you mean yeah, don't no, ever I'm, don't ever say just, that I'm recording now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. start. I, I don't even want to know that that's happening. Yeah. Yeah, that will freak no. me out. It will turn me into a third. It's terrible. Just don't tell. Don't me. ever say anything about recording. I'm yeah. I, like I want to forget that that's even happening. Yep. Yeah. No, that that's really where this needs to be too, where we're not even remembering and we're just talking. It's yeah. Just, because uh, I, I think this is hilarious. I'm the fucking for the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've pulling, done this a few times, so shut up. <laughs> pulling all of y'all behind yeah. me. <laughs> I know. No, even the good. three was like a freaking mute. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> "Where's my eight? My my three at? You know, <laughs> nowhere. We're gone. We left. <laughs> I, I did. A, I tried to do a podcast once with uh, OD years and years ago. And I mean, just because we, we bullshit all the time. And sometimes he records things without me knowing, and I'll listen back <laughs> to it. And I'm like, God damn, who is that? <laughs> and then, yeah. and then we tried to do a podcast and it sucked. Um, and it just took a long time to get comfortable recording. Mm-hmm. And I think what we've both figured out is that we just record each other without telling the other person. Yep. And we end up like coming up with really good stuff. Mm. But I'd be sitting down and saying, we're going to do a podcast and, and record each other. Like it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. It's going to so. take us some time to get used to it for sure. But I think, I think we'll get there. And I, yeah. I think, I mean, I think what we've done so far, regardless of it not flowing as naturally as our conversations often do, I think will be really interesting for people still. No, yeah. yeah 100%. Yeah. Like, yeah and so, people don't know how we normally talk. So. Yeah, and I mean, we are kind of just like laying the foundation of what is sort of True. up for us and important for us and why we're doing it. So, you know, I mean, just talking about like the uh, closet narcissism of nine just then, you know, <laughs> yeah, that was people don't fucking hear that, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, even though we're not going like, no, let's talk about the one, we're, 
we're touching like clearly who anybody listening is going to get the sense and the view that um oh these guys have something very different and insightful and original to say you know um thank you for listening uh thank you for joining us yeah thanks for listening to our podcast we'll be back at you next week make sure you follow us except we don't have any of that shit so everybody everybody should say (laughs) we gotta do something more interesting than that no everybody should try to (laughs) say the same words at the same time yeah there you go (laughs) so Well, I'll try to match each other uh, to say thank you for listening. Thank you. Uh, Can we do it is... in a creepy chant voice? Yeah, definitely. Uh, thank you for listening and uh, to Big Hormone Enneagram. Okay, all right, okay. let's go. Uh, one, okay. two, three. Thank, thank you for listening to Big Hormone Enneagram. Hormone Enneagram. Perfect.